And at this time, I'm going to invite Isabel and Oxley to come, and they're going to do our reading this morning. So if you have your Bibles, invite you to please turn to Matthew chapter 11, and they're going to do our reading for this morning. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead who are raised, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's places. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those of women, there is not any one greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law praise until John and are willing to accept it. He is the Elijah who is to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children, sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you, and you did not dance. We sang the dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came, neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came, eating and drinking, and they say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazan! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Copernicum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you, that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, 
Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Thank you so much. All right, kids. Kids and adults, I guess I can take adults, answers this question too. Do you get excited when you get an invitation, like to a birthday party, or maybe even to a wedding? Do you get excited, kids? Is that something you guys enjoy? Yeah? Have you ever been to a wedding? Any of the kids? Yeah, they're just these huge, wonderful celebrations. But I want to ask you, kids in the room, what is your favorite part of a party? What is it that you love the most? Yeah, cake. Guess what? First service, first answer, young girl your age, cake. Same answer. Yeah, I see other people nodding. What else do you love? Cake, priority. Yeah. Friends. Good answer. I like that. Any other kids? Things that you love about parties? Yeah. Dancing. I want to come to your party, Chaz. That sounds like a good time. I like that. I like that. Me too. Yeah. Lexi, go. The games. I know. The games are the best. I love that too. Now, okay, one more. Yeah. Presents. Giving. I think you said giving presents, didn't you? Yeah, not just getting them. Oh, I'm sorry I missed it there. Everyone was laughing. I couldn't hear what you said, but it has to do with presence, and that is a good thing for sure. Now, imagine if you got a party already together. The decorations were up. The food was warm and hot, ready to go on the counter. The cake was baked, and all you're missing was the guests. Imagine if you look at your watch and it was already 10 minutes after the party was to start and no one was there. Wouldn't that be the worst? As I was thinking about a party, I was like, the, the thing that you can't do without, you could maybe do a party without cake, maybe, but you can't do it without your friends there. See, a party is about connection. Uh, we've been reading through Matthew's gospel, and one of the things that we have seen and we'll see more and more, actually, is that the kingdom of God is a party. It's like a wedding feast Jesus will talk about, and you are invited to come to it. The invitation is for all of us, but as we just heard in our reading, following Jesus might not always lead to what looks like success, but it's the only way that leads to real peace and to rest. See, in this chapter, we found out that John the Baptist is there. God had called him to prepare the way for the kingdom to come, for King Jesus to come, for the Messiah. And so he's out in the wilderness. He's eating it says grasshoppers and wild honey. That was his diet. And he was wearing an itchy camel hair wool coat. That is what he wore for some reason. And could you just imagine, you're doing everything that God has asked of you, and he's faithful to it, and he ends up where? In jail. How would you be feeling about that if that were you? This is important for us to think about. Sometimes following what God 
wants from you will not make your life easier. It will make it harder, in fact. But here's what this means for you. If you're going through a hard time, because you're doing what God has asked you to, you're being honest and kind to those around you, you're seeking to treat others with respect, you're not gossiping, but you're being loving with your words, and if you're seeking to let others know the good news about Jesus, but people mistreat you because of that, it doesn't mean that God doesn't care or that he is not there, no. Jesus says that everyone who says yes to following him, who loves him and loves his way of living, will have more troubles, not less. John the Baptist has been doing what God has asked him to, and it landed him in prison. But we should notice this. John is actually not complaining. Not once do you say, and John was mad. We don't read that. What do we read? We read that John is concerned to know if Jesus really is the expected and awaited and promised rescuer and ruler. Is he really the Messiah? Because his concern is, have I been wasting my time and wasting my breath? Am I in jail for nothing or was I actually pointing to the right person? You see, Jesus was not doing what John or anyone else expected of him. He didn't put together an army to ride into Jerusalem to kill and kick out the Romans. That is what was expected of Messiah. And Jesus isn't doing that. He's doing life-giving things. He's teaching people. He's raising the dead. He's curing those with, with, with horrible diseases. He's casting out spirits that are inside of people that are evil. That's what he's doing. And then he's teaching people to love their enemies. This is not what the people or John himself expected. Seems like he's off script, actually, but no. He sends John back to the script, actually to the scriptures, to the Bible. See, Jesus points out that he has actually been fulfilling what the prophet Isaiah says that the Messiah will be like. He says, go and tell John this. The sick are healed, the dead are raised, and the good news is being proclaimed to the poor. So Jesus sends John back to the Bible. Isaiah in particular, and says, take courage from what God has revealed, his plans. The same is true for us. There may be moments in your life where you're saying, I'm confused. Why does everything look like it, this is not what I expected it to look like? I'm following Jesus, but things are getting harder, not easier. We need to do the same thing. Jesus will point us back to the script, back to the scriptures themselves. Oftentimes, Christian people, when, when we're confused, way too often I see people running to other people who may actually not even know God, and they're looking for advice, but not really advice. They're looking for someone to confirm what they already want to hear. Or they'll run to a book or a blog that has nothing to do with the Bible or what God teaches to look for advice there. Instead, <laughs> can I say that when we are confused, like John was in this moment, that we listen for the voice of God, that we prayerfully search the scriptures and we talk about them in community with people who love Jesus and are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what God has already, that's what Jesus is pointing us to do here. But not only did John, he's in jail, right? It looks like he's kind of failed in his mission. Jesus says, no, you haven't. You've been pointing to the kingdom and to me. So he confirms that John is actually 
been about what he's been called to be about. But not only that, Jesus at this moment looks like a failure too. Says this, he's been preaching these powerful messages. He's been performing these incredible miracles. And the people who are listening to him and seeing these miracles are responding with, eh, and walking away. He's saying most of the people that hear his message and actually see these miracles performed, he's saying they're not turning to follow Jesus. They're not turning away from their self-centeredness to follow him. No, actually, it's like it's falling on deaf ears. How does Jesus respond there? He doesn't throw up his hands and say, I'm done with you. (laughs) I've tried. It's useless. You're useless. He doesn't do that. Look at verse 25. It says, at that time, stop. At what time? At this time when he's completely discouraged, it sounds like, or he's he's at least feeling like, man, I wish people had responded but you're actually setting yourself up for destruction, he says. That's, that's what he tells these people who haven't responded in trust and faith in him. But it says, at that time, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Notice when Jesus is discouraged, he doesn't get angry and storm off, but he turns to his Father in prayer And he begins to praise his father. And he talks to God about the very thing that would, to most of us, just bring discouragement. And we need to do the same. When we are discouraged, we can turn to God our father and actually just talk to him. And notice why. He's able to talk to his father about this because he's been able to see the bigger picture. He says this, I praise you because you have hidden these things. This message of the kingdom, of God's love, of what Jesus is all about. You've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, this is what you were pleased to do. See, Jesus shows his utter confidence in his Father, in thankfulness for what God is going to do, that God is in charge. So we should probably know, though, the little ones here that are being described, that's not necessarily a reference to age, though I think it often includes age, too. You see, kids are dependent on others, and they know it. It's the opposite of being self-sufficient or independent. We often um, think that's what it means to be an adult, is to be independent of others. Kids, they know that they're dependent on others, and there's this humility that they have. They know, they, they don't think they know it all already, which makes them open to new information. The little ones they, means anyone who acts like that. Anyone who's willing to admit, you know what, I need God's loving leadership. I, I don't have all the answers. I'm ready to rely on God's help to understand what God is really about. So the wise and learned, that's talking about people who don't think they need Jesus to help them see the truth. So they're not actually wise because they're not open to learning from the all-wise one. Here's the point. If you want to know the beautiful reality of who God is, then listen to the voice of Jesus. Listen to him inviting you to see the reality of who he is. That raises the question for us. Are we ready to become like, like little kids? ready to learn what God is really like because we've listened to Jesus. 
And are we ready to follow his leading? Or like this guy in the picture, are we going to have our arms crossed over our, our chest and, and think that we know better than Jesus himself? For everyone who is like little children here, those ready to listen for Jesus' voice, he gives the most incredible invitation. He says, come to me. All who are weary, carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, for I'm humble and gentle, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Here's the invitation. Jesus says, come to me. Notice he doesn't say, come to a set of principles or come to a set of spiritual practices or come to a philosophy of life. He doesn't even say, go to God, which is shocking, actually. No other Jewish leader would point to himself. No other religious leader in history has said, I am the answer to everything, a standing there in the body person. This seems completely the wrong thing to do. Moses would have never said this, and yet Jesus says, come to me. Why? Because he is one and the same with God. For Jesus to say, come to me, is for him to say, go to God. It's the same thing. Because he and the Father are one. Christianity, then, is not essentially a philosophy. It's not an idea. It's not even a religion in the way that most people think about that word. Christianity is, at heart, a person. Us, relating to him. And who's invited? Look again. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. Everyone who knows they're weary and burdened, who knows they need a way out, they need God, they are invited. Jesus has come to me. You who are like little children, ready to learn. Now, why are we weary? I'd suggest we're weary because we live in a sin-broken world where people live for themselves at the cost of others. And that leads to broken relationships, broken bodies, broken hearts, and it wears us out. And that word burden, it, it's often used in the Bible of sin, actually. Uh, it's, it's used when we inflict pain on ourselves and those around us because we've made something other than God the most central thing in our hearts. It can also simply refer to a heavy load. So all of us do carry a burden of sin, which divides us from God and others, but I think we just carry loads, too. Here's something we need to notice, though. In, um, in the Greek text in which this is written, burdened is in the middle voice, meaning it could be translated something like this. Come to me, all who have overburdened themselves. I think Daryl Johnson is right when he says, for the most part, excessive weariness is our own doing. We put the burdens on ourselves, actually. We might think, and this is funny because I had no idea what Nicole's testimony was going to be like, but this is essentially all your examples are my examples. So we got to see from a real life person um, that this is how we often live. And it's not just you, it's me too, actually. I need to get perfect marks in school or excel in my work. Then I'll know I'm worthy of attention or the love of others or of my parents' praise. Or I need every person in my class to like me. I just do. I need them to like me so that I know that I'm likable. 
I need to know that. Or if I can only make enough money, then I can be financially free. And then we end up working so much or making choices that actually burst apart our relationships and they suffer. Those will become heavy burdens. They will. Why? Because you're putting something else at the center of your heart than God. We often read this little book um, at bedtime with our kids called Thoughts to Make Your Heart Sing, and it's brilliant. Get it for your kids if you, if you have kids or grandkids, whatever. Here's one of their favorite ones. It goes like this. What if you put porridge in a car's tank? No, bad idea. How about tomato soup then? Stop it. The car won't run properly. Actually, it won't run at all. The Bible says if we put anything in the center of our lives except God, we won't work properly either. We're built for love and joy, not for sin and tears. The Bible says only God understands the human heart and how it works best. After all, he made it. And the one who made your heart can also mend it. Isaiah 61.1, he has sent me to heal those who are brokenhearted. That is what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, come to me, you whose hearts are weary, heavy laden. I understand how your work, heart works better than you do. And I've come to heal it. And that's his promise. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. Now, this isn't a holiday or a nap. Rest here is peace and wholeness. It's being able to rest from my striving to make life mean something apart from God. What it is, is the promise of closeness of relation with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's to know that we don't have to prove our worth by our performance. We simply come to Jesus and trust in what he's accomplished for us, and he rests us. And last, how do we access that rest? Jesus says next, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, but what does he mean by yoke here? Um, some people would say, you know, it's two oxen are yoked together. I actually don't think that's Jesus' reference. Another way that yokes were used in the ancient world is uh, when a person was working, they would wear a yoke and so that they were able to carry heavier loads and to balance them on their shoulders. So this is kind of a funny thing. Wait a minute. A yoke suggests work. Jesus, you just said you were going to rest me. So we're thinking that means rest is like the opposite of work in our minds, isn't it? You're going to rest me. Now you're telling me, weary and burdened as I am, that you want me to take something else on? Really? Yes, Jesus says. But why? Here's why. Because you're already wearing a yoke. You have a yoke on right now. There is no such thing as no yoke. The question is not ever, will I wear a yoke, but which yoke am I wearing? It's never, will I be a disciple, but whose disciple will I be? Who is giving direction to my life and how it must be lived? You and I are wearing a yoke. See, a yoke is whatever we take on ourselves that sets the direction of our lives. Whatever we use to make our life meaningful. And Jesus is saying that you're wearing the wrong one until you're wearing his. Why am I burdened? 
I've taken on myself a way of defining myself, proving that I'm a somebody that's not Jesus' way. It's following the way of someone other than Jesus. So Jesus says, switch yokes. Take on my yoke. Mine is easy. It's light, he says. Really? Yes, really. What is Jesus' yoke then? What, what is he referring to here? What's the main thing? I think it's to come into the relationship of never-ending love. It's to come into the place of nearness with God through Jesus. Remember what Jesus is doing when he says this? He's in prayer. He's talking with his father. He's saying, Father, I praise you. You've hidden these things from those who think they're so wise. You've given them to little children. Thank you so much. And then he opens up his arms. See, he's been in this huddle of, with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that has always been there for all of eternity. And now he opens up the circle and says, you come on inside of this. Come to me. Come to this place of relating to the Father just like I have been relating to the Father. The invitation is to God himself. Come to me. Let me rest you. Take that yoke upon you. Do you know that that's what Jesus is inviting you into today? Is to live in that place of dependent trust just like Jesus did. He's basically saying, take my whole way of life upon yourself. Take my teaching into your heart. Let me get in there and lead the way. Now, we've just read the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus describes what life in the kingdom is all about. And from the outside, we might say, actually, that looks really demanding. That looks like a heavier yoke, not a lighter one. We were talking about that in our staff meeting today, or this week. And as we were going around the circle, we were just kind of, I heard this same thing. It's like it looks heavy from the outside, but once you come inside, you go, wow, this is the lightest thing possible because God's Holy Spirit is alive and active in me, enabling me, giving me the desire even to do the things that God wants me to do. And so it actually might look demanding, the way of Jesus. Wow, that's like forgiveness and love of enemies. That sounds super hard. But from the inside, you say, I wouldn't want to live any other way. This is the way of life. This is the way of freedom. Jesus' yoke is way lighter than anything else I've burdened myself with. It's easy because Jesus is the one who gives it to us. And he is gentle and he's humble, and you will find rest for your souls when you take his yoke on you. So you need to ask yourself this morning, who's at the center? Who's in the middle of my life? Who am I following? Am I in that circle of, of love that the Father and Son and Holy Spirit have shared forever, or am I not? Here's why you need to come to Jesus today. Jesus loves you more than anyone ever has or ever will. Kids, your parents love you. They really do. But they don't love you like Jesus does. They really don't. They can't. Jesus made you. And second, Jesus can define your life in a way no one else can. He's the maker of all of creation. That means he knows how life works best and how your heart works best. When you follow Jesus, you will be wearing the lightest and most beautiful load possible. Put something other than God at the center of your heart. It's like porridge or soup in a car's gas tank. It won't work at all.
And when we come to Jesus, he actually takes the heaviest burden of all on himself. When we understand that when we're trying to put anything other than God at the center of our hearts, it leads us away from God. It's what the Bible calls sin. It's thinking and, 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 and saying and doing things that displease God, that are apart from his way. And it breaks our world apart and it breaks us from God. It's like a great gully, like the Grand Canyon. We could never get across it on our own. But in order to bring us back to God, to our true home forever, Jesus does what we could never do for ourselves. He becomes that bridge back to God the Father. And Jesus himself will put on a yoke. He carries a beam on his shoulder, and he did it for you. He carries it, and carries it up a hill where he will be killed His body will be broken for your sin and your guilt so that you never have to carry it again. He does it so that you can rest from that burden. So that we can be in that loving, close relationship. And so when we know that God loves us in this way, that he would take our failure, our guilt in his own body on the cross, it frees us to live in his new way. See, Jesus will actually say, and he has already just a a couple pages back, If you want to be my disciple, take up your cross. Follow me. What is the yoke of Jesus? That's actually it too. He bears your sin and guilt so you can live a life even taking up your cross and living in the same Jesus-shaped way. A way that is forgiving, that is self-giving in its orientation toward others, So the yoke we actually carry is none other than the same yoke that Jesus gives us to take up your cross daily and follow him as well. And that's how life works best. When we do, we actually become like Jesus, our loving leader. I'm gonna invite those who are helping with communion to come forward at this time. And um, kids, if, if this is the first time that you've been a part of our communion service, what we do is we give out a piece of bread and and a cup with juice in it. Jesus used these symbols to talk about his own body. It's like bread. He said, like the bread breaks, my body will break for you. Like the cup is poured out, so my life will be poured out, my blood will be shed for you, so you can be forgiven. And so when we take these elements, we're saying, I trust you, Jesus. And if that's you, if you've said, yes, Jesus, I recognize that I need you to forgive me for my sin. And I trust you, what you did on the cross, and I trust in your resurrection that it means that my sin is over. If you can say, yes, I wanna follow you, Jesus, then this is for you to take. If you can't, that's, just let it go past you. But I would encourage you, why not today? Why not say, Jesus, be the center of my heart? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you sent your son in the power of the Holy Spirit to make us new And now, Lord, we say thank you. Thank you for all you've done. Amen.